Hi, it's Chad Griffiths. I'm the host of the Industrial Real Estate Show, and I'm glad you're here. After you listen to it, please consider leaving a review on our Apple or Spotify page and check out any more episodes to see how you can learn more about the industrial real estate market. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Industrial Real Estate Show. My name is Chad, and I'm the host, and I am super excited to bring another awesome episode with a great guest coming on. So I got to know the guest, Max Fisher, actually on Twitter, uh, which has become a place that I've been enjoying going to lately because the uh, real estate community is thriving on there and there's a lot of interaction. Uh, just as an example, I put on a post uh, this morning about a building renovation that I did on a property and it's had a number of uh, people asking questions about it. Uh, so I've, I've actually got to know Max because of Twitter, and he's got a fascinating story. Uh, he's got a, uh, an ebook that he put out that I've purchased and I've read and I recommend. So it was natural that I had to bring Max on to ask him some more questions. He's consistently done over 75 deals a year. So high volume broker, uh, obviously having a lot of success. I thought it'd be great to have him come on and share what's worked for him give some tips and actionable items that that you can take if you want to improve your brokerage as well. So very excited to bring Max on. Max, buddy, good to see you. Thanks for having me on, Chad. Oh, uh, yeah, no, thanks for, for being on here. And and I want to start, and I know a little bit about your story already. I know you've, you've gone through some challenges that, uh, that we've talked about uh, offline as well. So I really want to just get your story on on how you've how you got to where you are today and we'll dive into your brokerage business and how you're doing it and some of the successful things that you've done but really just love to hear a little bit more about your background sure so i got into commercial real estate in 2017 uh worked at cushman for about four or five years and you know took the the conventional route in terms of cold calling and door knocking but what I also did when I started is I created my own website called industrialtucson.com. And I wear this hat just in case, you know, people want to check out what it's all about. But my goal with this website was to generate business and generate inbound leads from people finding me on Google and then contacting me about their commercial real estate needs and then doing deals that way. So while I did have plenty of success in cold calling and door knocking, in 2018, it really started to um, take off a little bit. And then in 2019, it just blew up. And I was doing multi-million dollar deals from Google AdWords and just natural uh, Google SEO. So what SEO means is basically search engine optimization. When people go online, they find your website. So... I was paying, like, I, I never paid more than 250 bucks a month for Google AdWords. And what Google AdWords is, is when you go and search for something on Google, say warehouse for lease, there's an ad at the top. And because this industry is dominated by older brokers, it's very cheap to buy these ads. So I was spending less than 250 bucks a month and for example, I sold an airplane hanger on 17 acres and that was a six figure commission. Uh, so the margins are just ridiculous because no one else is doing it. That, yeah. And, and I don't want to dig into all of that. I want to dig into how you, some of the, maybe the search terms that you've used, uh, how you complement that with social media, how yeah. you've essentially just built this brand from, from scratch. 
came from a large brokerage like Cushman. Now you're at, at a, a smaller boutique shop, but you're crushing uh, the, your larger competitors that are at these big brokers. So I want to dive into all of this. And and even before we get into that, I I remember you had a tweet uh, probably a year ago about some just the health challenge that you had because you, you had temporary paralysis at the same time you're expecting a kid. Can you dive into that a bit more if you're comfortable talking about it? Yeah, so 13 months ago, I had what's called cauda equina syndrome, and basically a disc came out of my spine and hit not only the nerves affecting my lower half, but my spinal cord. And um, so woke up one morning, couldn't walk, couldn't pee. Uh, so my wife took me to the emergency room, and um, they cut me open, and I thought it was going to be a pretty easy recovery because I had another spine surgery two years prior. But because my spinal cord was hit by this disc, um, it was a super painful and long recovery that kind of created this chain reaction um, with my lower half. So, and um, a few weeks ago, I ran my first ultra marathon, kind of in honor of that first year anniversary of getting all my... uh, my lower half feelings back and being out of pain. I'm guessing you had a catheter for that period of time then too. Yep. Uh, That's a very painful. Yeah. So (laughs) you have nerve pain, you have all this, you know, the spine pain, and then it comes with other pains like a a catheter, or you can imagine the the other pain from your saddle area. But yeah, (laughs) I had a foot surgery a few years ago and same thing for whatever reason, I couldn't, I couldn't pee. So I had to have a catheter in and out a few times and it is the worst thing I've ever experienced. I'm sure it pales in comparison to that feeling of not being able to feel your legs. Um, that's, I'm sure infinitely worse, but congratulations on the ultra marathon. And and that's surely a testament to seeing some adversity working your way through it and then celebrating a year down the road by doing an ultra marathon. So congrats to you on that. Thank you. So when you moved over to moved away from Cushman, you set up a website, walk me through that process on what was involved, because I think a lot of people are probably overwhelmed with this. And there's, there's a lot of commercial brokers out there that have no presence, perhaps beyond some simple social media. Uh, Maybe they feel overwhelmed. Maybe they just feel it's, it's too expensive, but if you could go through the process of what was involved in setting it up and then any costs you could share would be helpful as well. Sure. So I, I did start this website when I was at Cushman. It was right when I started in commercial real estate in 2017. And, uh, you know, I, I, mean, I took home 17 grand my first year in this business. So I was, you know, I didn't have the money to build some fancy website or anything. So the monthly cost to hold this website, you know, probably between 20 and 30 bucks. And at that time, I was scared to spend 250 bucks on Google ads. So I didn't even do it the first year. And in retrospect, I should have because the margins are just ridiculous. But so, I mean, that's, that's what I spend for this website and people get caught up with just the stigma of building a website is this, you know, expensive, daunting, you know, time consumed, um, just activity, but it's, it's not, it's the way I built this was through um, a service called Weebly. And it's essentially, you click the image button, you drag it, and then you put your image in there. 
or you take a text box and you drag it and then you type in your keywords. So that's all it is. And you can go to it, industrialtucson.com. It's nothing too fancy, but it's more about the fundamentals. And I do cover that in my ebook. So when you were setting it up, how did you design it beyond just the graphics on it? Like what, what was the content that you're putting on? And did you have a landing page or call to action? How did you, how did you, I go, what I'm trying to drive in at is what did you actually do to convert someone that was coming on to look at your website to ultimately reach out to you? Yeah. So at first I, I was posting, um, our company listings. I don't post my listings anymore. I just don't have the time to update them. But I was posting like company listings and then I was also posting other companies listings and obviously giving them credit, you know, who listed it. So there were options there. But I think most importantly was the keywords. And like you said, the landing page, if you go to my landing page, you'll see there's like two or three sentences, but those keywords are super important. So I've got like warehouse, manufacturing, distribution, Tucson, industrial real estate, and that's it because that's what people are searching for. So, and so you have the website and then you started bringing in traffic through paid advertisement through Google. So can you go through that process as well on, on what's involved? And so what I'd really like is if someone's watching this and they're saying, I'd like to add another stream of business activity or, or a stream of business development, set up a website so we w walk through how we do that now you got to bring traffic to it so you can do it organically through seo but you also supplemented that by paid advertisement so can you walk through that process too yeah so just go to google search in google adwords and it's a super easy process google does a great job with simplifying it and kind of walking you through the process so my whole goal with that is there's keywords that you can select it ties right back to my landing page. What is the consumer search for? They're searching for warehouses. They're searching for business parks, industrial real estate, and then your market. My market's Tucson. So I would use those keywords in there. And, you know, it's it's one of those things, too, where you could go onto YouTube and search, you know, how to do, do a Google AdWords campaign. And there's like five or ten minute videos that show you how to do it it's it's really not difficult again it's the stigma that gets in people's head so what is that stigma what do you think it is what's keeping people from doing it i think it's just like people think about websites and online advertising as some complicated process but it's become so streamlined it's it's incredibly simple it's i think it's just this a stigma that's spread throughout everyone and I think definitely in commercial real estate, because you don't see too many people in their 20s or even their 30s in this business. When you're setting up an ad, are you directing people to the landing page or do they just come to your website or do they come to a contact form? Yeah, they just go straight to my homepage on industrialtucson.com. So do you have it set up on like a funnel system where they go to the landing page, see something that they like, and then perhaps read an article and then contact you? Or what? what's your call to action, I guess, to get them from being a browser to actually being a potential customer or client? Yeah, that's a good question. So my ad is, um, you know, like when I was doing it a few years ago, my ad was largest selection of warehouses in Tucson. So people love seeing options. 
they click on my website and then I have a contact page where they can fill out their details or they can just click on the link that has my phone number there. Mm -hmm. So today I just put like the industrial specialist or something of that sorts on there. It's, it's, I don't think you need to overthink it or complicate it too much because it's no one else is really doing it. And you showing up with your website, industrialtucson.com is better than any of the other domains that are showing up anyways, because yeah, I, uh, your, your competitors, their websites are like fishercre.com. No one knows what that means. But if it says industrialtucson.com, that's an ad in and of itself. It's not like you have to get fancy with it. Yeah, and thanks for pulling that up, Wyatt, too. We, we've got the uh, website up there. If you're listening to this after the live interview here, we'll put a link to Max's website so you can get a better sense of it. But I, I agree with you completely, Max, is that if you're a tenant or an investor or somebody in the Tucson market and you're searching online, which more and more people will be doing, that old school mentality is transitioning to the more modern brokers who are much more comfortable with technology. So if you're going on there and you go into some generic brokerage website, which is global, it's hard to get a feeling of that local representation yeah. when you don't see Tucson or whatever city someone's mentioned in versus yours, where it's very localized. They know exactly where they are. They feel very confident that they're in the right place. And then they get to have a local representative right off the bat, as opposed to having to comb through 60, 100 different people to find some that will work for them. So I, I love how you've kept that very simple by design, but just make people feel like they're in the right place. Give them uh, some local information about yourself and the and the industry and make it easy to contact. I, I think that that's, it's brilliant in its simplicity. And yeah. I, I do have a few more questions, but I saw a few people had joined in uh, already and some questions came in. So I do want to get to that. If you have any questions for Max as we're going through this, please feel free to uh, jump in in the chat. Uh, Harry, uh, looking forward to this. Thanks for joining in. Uh, Darren, let's get those tips. We're going to get some more tips here. Uh, thanks for joining in, Darren. Uh, Ivan, uh, well, here's a great question we'll, we'll go to right now. Uh, tips for a new industrial broker in Chicago on prospecting. And this, this is probably the number one thing that all new brokers have to adjust for. And, and it's not taught in school. You don't go through high school and university learning, taking a course on how to prospect for industrial real estate. So this is unfamiliar territory for a lot of brokers. What would you yeah. say to someone? Uh, it, it can be in Chicago or it can just even be more generic. Yeah. So I would say the best way to look at this is from a macro perspective, you want to be what I call omnipresent. And who do you want to be omnipresent to? If you're building an industrial business, you want to be omnipresent to all the industrial owners and all the industrial business owners. So you do that in a few ways. You do it through cold calling. You do it through door knocking. One thing that I did that was different from everyone else is I did snail mail market updates every quarter. And I, I hand wrote that building owner's name on that envelope. They're going to open my, my mailer. That's the only letter that they're getting with their name handwritten on it. So all of those channels show up to the uh, networking events, although I'm not a huge fan of networking. It is important. Um, and then also the online aspect. So one of the things that I did early in my career, which created a lot of business in a very efficient, low-cost manner, 
was I would write a market update on my blog on my website. I would take that link and then I would post it on LinkedIn. I would post it on Facebook. I would post it on Instagram. And I would make sure that I was always adding new friends on Facebook, new connections on LinkedIn that were active in our market, whether it be in the industrial business world or in the commercial real estate world. And then I got to a point where, you know, people are like, you're obnoxious, you're posting too much. That's when you know you're on the right track because now you're stuck in people's heads. And as long as you're providing valuable content, you're on the right path. Love everything you said. And, and I, couldn't agree more with all of that. Uh, I, I wanted to piggyback on a comment you made there because I, I have the exact same philosophy. I just have a different term for it. So yours was omnipresence, uh, which I love. I think that that's such a great way of describing it. I use the analogy of you're playing a football game and the best way to win a football game is to have the best players on the field. And that includes all the positions. You don't want to just have a quarterback. You don't want to just have a running back uh, where the analogy might be your quarterback is you just cold call and you're running back. You just have a social media presence. It's right. very difficult to have a successful brokerage business, or even if you're an investor and you're trying to uncover opportunities yourself, it's very difficult to have just one mechanism of trying to get your phone to ring, which I think is the, the goal of a broker. A broker is you've got to get a phone, your phone to ring. And how do you do that? You have to make a lot of outbound activities. You've got to have some push and pull marketing. You have to be doing the cold calling, door knocking. You have to find a way to get your phone to ring. And I don't think it's responsible or, or advisable to have just one way of doing that. So it is, like you mentioned, omnipresence. I like that. I'm going to incorporate that when I'm talking about my football analogy on the omnipresence side. And I also love the point you made about adding value, because this is something that I think a lot of brokers in particular, especially ones that just haven't had any familiarity or, or introduction to effective marketing, they'll put uh, all their stuff will be just listed or just sold, or here's, here's some, a client that I'm looking for. And that's, that's fine if you're trying to get out the message that you're busy, but I don't think beyond your immediate circle of friends and perhaps a small group of colleagues that people are going to be interested in that beyond there. You have to find a way to actually add value so that you can reach a wider audience because you're not trying to sell your colleagues when they're, when they're in indirect competition with you, you have to find a way to reach beyond that. So I love the value add element. And I wanted to dig into that a bit more because it's, it's fine to say you have to add value, but we need to actually have quantifiable ways of doing that. So can you give me a couple examples of things that you've done or will do that are adding value beyond just those simple descriptive posts about a just listed or just sold? Sure. Uh, one example comes to mind for me, and this is a marketing tactic that I like to do often because it's a little controversial and that drums up more activity, more comments and gets that algorithm going. I, I put out an article saying Southern Arizona the new EV mining hub. And we have a lot of copper and now lithium activity here. And so it's, it's this odd dynamic, but it's also fueling our industrial market. So if you go to industrialtucson.com, go to my blog page, go back to like 2018, 2019, 2020, you'll see my blog posts and you, you, you can get a snapshot as to, you know, just some, some ideas. But then I would post that onto LinkedIn and Facebook 
and also send it out to my uh, my CRM with all the emails there. So you want to be harvesting all these email addresses as well. It's another way to stay omnipresent. And then also I would just do like quarterly market updates. And this is a great tip for newer brokers because if you're a newer broker, you may not have experience or deals under your belt that you can talk about, but you can talk about the macro environment. You can quote Bloomberg business. You can do all that stuff that's still providing value to your prospects. Great point. And, uh, oh, Joe joined in. Uh, Joe's another actually great resource for uh, commercial real estate for the industry as a whole. He's got a, an awesome channel, uh, as does Darren. We've got a couple uh, guys pro- producing a lot of awesome content on here. And, and of course, Max uh, is producing a ton of awesome stuff, too. I love the point that you made about how you'll take an article. So you write a blog article and then there's content that you can essentially distribute on social media, send to an email list. You're not having to create a whole extra set of work. You've already done the work by creating a single piece of content. And now you've got that to be able to share. What, what's been your process on writing a blog? Like it's how, how many, how many words are you putting in on average? How are you trying to structure that so that it's, that it gets reach and it's actually value add to someone reading it? Hello, my name is Wyatt Hammond and I am the producer of the industrial real estate podcast. I'm here to let you know that this episode is being sponsored by Tyler Cobble's industrial real estate investing course. This course will teach you how to find, fund, and close your first commercial real estate deal. Even if you're starting from scratch. It is a self-guided online course that teaches real-world practical principles to succeed in commercial real estate investing. If you're interested in learning more or signing up for the course, you can click the link in the description. Now back to your episode. Yeah, I think we should make simplicity the theme of this entire podcast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, um, you know, keep it below like five paragraphs. Everyone's got TikTok brain. No one has a, you know, a big attention span anymore. So keep it simple. You know, less than five p- paragraphs, throw a chart in there. A couple, you know, visuals. So uh, keep it short, keep it valuable, keep it short, statistics, graphs, people love that stuff. Yeah, and I'd echo that as well. It can even be as simple as if you find a couple good articles, you can just write a summary of them and put a link to the article so that if someone's curious, they can check it out more. But perhaps you just cover the key points. Like you said, someone might not even have time to read a, a full article on Bloomberg or, or Wall Street Journal. But if they can just get the summary of it, that might be enough. If they're curious, you provide them with the link. They're all, all of a sudden, you're, you're adding something uh, that improves their uh, ability to take something in. So I, I think it's, it's a great idea of keeping it brilliant. And I want to actually just still go back to Ivan's point because I, th- I, I want to really make sure that we cover this because it's it's easy to just say in sound bites uh, that you and I can offer is, well, you just got to go out there. You got to put a full football team on the field. You got to be omnipresent. What would you say? Let's, and let's say you're bringing on a junior guy to your team right now. What would you say to that junior guy to get started with knowing that trying to do everything off the bat is going to be really difficult? Where would you focus your efforts on right now? Or, or where would you focus a new broker's efforts on if he was joining your team right now? Yeah, this is what I would say. Go print out a co-star list of like 500 properties. Start an Excel spreadsheet and just start cold calling each one of those owners. Take those owners' phone numbers, their emails, put them in a database. You, that's your foundation for being omnipresent to that list. And then once you have that database built out, 
move on to the next one. Say that first one was buildings between five and 20,000 square feet. And that took you four months to cold call those owners and door knock them and send them texts. Move on to the next one now. Now you have like five different databases. You're two years into your business. You're omnipresent. And those people, they're calling you because you're the market expert. And like you said, if you're complementing that by sending them information, sending them value add, there's there's a lot to benefit from that. What was your What's your typical message when you're doing a cold outreach to someone that doesn't know who you are and you're just trying to establish a relationship? Yeah, so it's going to be different if you're in year one compared to, I think I'm in year six or seven at this point, but let's just talk about year one. Um, I would probably, let's just say I have a business park portfolio owner, portfolio owner that I'm looking to cold call. I would just call this owner and say, hey, John, my name is Max Fisher. I'm a new industrial broker in town. I just wanted to meet you shake your hand, introduce myself, deliver our first quarter market report and see if there's any way I can provide value to you in the future. Um, you know, if you want to get more aggressive, you know, my, my first business park sale, I called a business park owner and I said, um, you know, hey, John, I'm working with this California uh, buyer. They're really aggressive. They want to buy some industrial would you be open to an offer? So I would say somewhere in between there. Have you found one works more than the other, or is it just a depending on the personality, the other side of the of person on the phone on how they respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I would say long term the first one works better, but at the same time, when you're in year one, you have bills to pay, and so sometimes you want to get more aggressive and you want to do you know are you open to a strong offer and so have you predominantly been more on the landlord seller rep yeah i taking on a tenant or a buyer right now in my point of career is almost worthless why so, how so our vacancies sub three percent and i like listings have you worked in that uh, tenant rep before when you're first getting started or did you go right into yeah yeah both sides of it for sure so what was your messaging when you're trying to touch base with a tenant or a potential buyer um i'll take an example of my first successful cold call on the tenant side um i just went through yelp and i just looked up electricians plumbers hvac and I started calling these business owners. And also, younger brokers don't know how to get a hold of the business owner. Here's how you get a hold of the business owner, not the receptionist. You look up that business at their building or you find their LLC online. And then you go to the corporation commission. You search that LLC. You find the owner of the LLC. You plug that owner's name into White Pages Premium. It should have their cell phone number the majority of the time. Anyways, that's what I did for this plumbing contractor. I called them and I just said, hey, I saw you're a successful plumber. I'm just looking to, uh, you know, help some plumbers or electricians out there find some warehouse space. He goes, you called me at the perfect time. And this was probably the 10th call. So it didn't take 100 calls. And, you know, I put the guy in a small space. It was a three-year deal. 
you know, not big money, but good money for my first year in the business. And most importantly, that was a momentum builder and a confidence builder. And it's all about momentum and confidence in years one through two. Because you're getting beat up daily. You're calling people. They're cussing at you. They're hanging up on you. You're getting your door slammed in your face. So take the small wins too. Well said on on that is you're right. It can be very tough at the beginning because you're getting rejected all the time, nonstop. So you do need to have those wins. What did you do? How did you handle those? Was it just that you had to look for the wins and that offset the losses? Or how did you handle one of those tough calls or one that was just very discouraging? Yeah, um, I think I handled the calls to them individually fine. I mean, you get callous to it. What's very difficult is going a week without a win. You know, you're spending all day cold calling, door knocking, doing all this stuff. So you almost have to just trust the process and know that as long as you're staying in front of all these people, your fruits will bloom, not this week, but later on. Did you have a mix on how much you wanted to be doing that outbound marketing, so cold calling and door knocking versus what you were trying to get from building your omnipresence on social media and your website did you have a a mix on how much how you divided your time yeah it was probably 95 percent cold calling and you know doing conventional methods compared to online advertising actually that that's so that's a really important point there so let's let's dive into that more because i i think a lot of new brokers think it's probably well, I don't want to say the opposite because there's there's probably not many people out there only doing five percent of active prospecting but I think a lot of new brokers especially or perhaps brokers in the in a stage of their career where perhaps they've plateaued or or just maybe even going down they think that they can go to social media now and that'll be a fix-all solution for their business and they'll just be inundated with leads and prospects uh and in my experience it's it's the opposite it's the business that comes in is what you're going to generate but a lot of people think that social media is is a crutch so i i I, I want to dig into that a little bit more because you're 95% at the beginning anyways, was actively prospecting 5% was on the business. Was yeah. that, was that just in recognition that you, that's where you're going to find business or was that thinking more long-term that that ratio would perhaps shift more to being balanced, right? Walk me through that. I'm, I'm curious to hear more on that. There's only so much time you could, this is the whole theme simplicity it's social media and online advertising is so simple to the point where it barely takes any time so if i were to be spending more time on that it would just be stupid if i were to do anything differently with that 95 to 5 ratio in my first year it would be paying for google adwords right off the bat because you're just sparking the fire and having people call you immediately and that's what i would have done differently but again it's the stigma of it takes time it takes money it doesn't it's it's very simple stuff and your book does walk through this in more detail which i'll, I'll leave a link to to that at the end as well but i i, I love how you're summarizing all of this is that you could you could start a website you could start social media very easily it doesn't take a lot of money it doesn't take a lot of time and that can be some inbound leads coming in 
but especially at the beginning, you need to be driving those outbound leads. So I, I think even just emphasizing that, that anyone that any new broker out there that isn't putting in that time should be focused more on that outbound active prospecting as opposed to just hoping people see something that you put on Facebook or Twitter and then they call you on that. So I, I thank you for expanding on that, Max. A uh, couple of questions coming in. Uh, Nico, thanks for joining in the question. Great info. Uh, Max, were you able to create your personal brand while employed at Cushman? Is that something that is allowed as a CRE broker or need to be established prior to hanging your license? This is a great question. Uh, what, I'll let you answer and then I've got a comment on that as well. Yeah, so um, my personal brand was my name on Facebook, my name on LinkedIn, my name on Instagram. Um, although it did become a point of contention in terms of website advertising, and sometimes I post controversial stuff on social media. So I do feel I'm better off, you know, independently. Um that's not to say, you know, bigger brokerage, I'm not a fan of bigger brokerage because bigger brokerages have a lot to offer, but for my model, um, it can get in the way of bureaucracy. Yeah. Bureaucracy is a, a good way of describing it. I, I think red tape uh, all the time because uh, Nico's quite right is that there a lot of those large brokerages especially the publicly traded ones have very strict compliance guidelines and there might be restrictions on what you can and can't do that might extend to a website that might extend to anything that you're talking about the brokerage so what, what i would always encourage people to do is is find the brokerage that works for you on where you can extrapolate out your career and where you could envision not only being successful but being happy because i think this brokerage can be very tough as Max is attested to. And I doubled down on that. My first couple of years were, were very difficult too. Uh, they can be difficult, but it's also a very rewarding career that if you find something that you enjoy doing and you can make a good living at it, there's all sorts of reasons to be, to be excited about this business. But I, what I always recommend to new brokers is talk to a few brokerages before you make your decision and not don't talk to like two large publicly traded brokerages and that's it. And then pick between one of them, but look at the full spectrum. So look at the large brokerages, ask tough questions because you're, you're hanging your hat there. You're going to be at that brokerage for, for foreseeable future. Uh, also consider a smaller boutique brokerage or a regional brokerage and just ask those questions on what you can do, what you can't do, what the brokerage provides, what the platform is. You really just want to get a full understanding and a saying that I, use all the time it's probably becoming uh annoying or cliches make the best decision you can with the information you have available and if you can get that information you can get that information by just talking to as many brokerages as you can and ask the questions get all the information you can then then i think you're in the best position to make a good decision uh but that that, that is something you have to flush out because every brokerage is going to treat it treat it differently uh, as max alluded to uh, question from Brendan, uh, as a relatively young broker, how do you manage to do deals, create relationships with owners who have pre pre-existing long-term relationships with more veteran brokers? A great question. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a fine line, but it's kind of not, I think, uh, I think too many young brokers get that in their head to create excuses for not to reach out because they're scared of cold calling, to be honest. But, <laughs> um, you know, if you're sending mailers, to those owners if you're just telling them what you're seeing going on in the market i mean these older brokers they were in your shoes at 
at one point as well. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I see people take that as an excuse to not prospect. Yeah. Good point. And, and I'd add on to it as well that the, the foot in the door technique can be very effective in there. So you might call an owner uh, if, if you're not afraid of it as, as Max, uh, and I agree with you, Max, I think a lot of people are just apprehensive to call some of these more uh, sophisticated owners. If you do call and they say, well, we've been working with Joe, Joe, cause Joe's, <laughs> Joe's a, in the chat and he's such a good broker we've been working with joe joe sir i'm going to mow your grass on this on on how i would approach this if we've been we've been working with joe for a long time and we're really happy with them i would say something to the effect i completely understand joe's a great broker i love working with him all yeah, that i'd yeah. ask is if you have something down the road that perhaps joe isn't a good fit for uh, maybe it's a smaller project or it's something out of the market that he doesn't want to work on i just love the opportunity to win your business uh, and and that's it. It's it's not necessarily a pressure tactic. I would never throw another broker under the bus, even if that broker isn't uh, good at their job. I think that that's just poor taste for an industry that's pretty small. You you don't want to be creating a name where you're 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 doing that in in implicating a broker for something that, that you just don't want to get caught up in that. So the message that I would have reach out to them, if they say they're happy with them, reinforce that they're with a good broker, make them feel that they're making a good choice on that. And you're not trying to undercut them, but just say, I'd, I'd love to be considered if, if Joe ever slows down and he just has too much on his plate, I'd love to be considered for something smaller or perhaps something he doesn't want to work on. And then to Max's point, then you're just you're continuing to touch base with them. And it's another contact on someone that you're reaching out to. And I can assure you, every broker is eventually going to retire uh, or every broker is going to get to the stage where they just don't want to be working as hard as they are at that point. And if you were the one that was constantly following up with him and being courteous and being professional and offering value, you're in the best position to win that business down the road. So look at it as a long-term game with those those uh, clients that have legacy brokers or long-term relationships. It's a process. You're not going to crack into that right away foot in the door technique, try to get in there, establish that you're, you're in this for the long game. You, uh, you'd be happy if it's 10 years down the road uh, that an opportunity comes up. You'd just like to be considered for it at that point. And, and that's a pretty convincing message uh, for someone that, that was perhaps very happy with their broker, uh, but just at some point they recognize that things are going to change as well. So having like a plan B is never a bad, bad option. Yeah. Here, here's, an, here's another way to do it that I just thought of. Um, you say you're, you, you're going after a portfolio owner of, uh, business parks, take tenants to that broker's listings. That broker is going to have your name on their market update, you know, on what deals they're working on that they send to that owner or when the lease comes their way, your name is going to be there. If you bring them a deal every few months and they're getting your market updates, they're they're gonna you're gonna stay st top of mind for them you're in second position now solidly in second position you're giving them some value they see that you're bringing them deals when the time comes and the time will always come when when the broker just moves uh, slows down or whatever happens there's always a transition that happens across the board i've been in this business for 18 years and i've seen a number of of those types of clients just transition to different brokers uh because of those reasons so like a beautiful point about bringing them deals. If you can actually work with them and show them that you're active in the market, you're positioning yourself well above anybody else that's doing it. And it's just simplicity. It's, it's not 
crazy amount of work to do. It's just actually going out and doing it. So good point on that, Max. Uh, we have some other uh, comments coming in. Uh, Tim, thanks for joining in. Uh, you have to pick up the phone more than once too. And this is a brilliant point, Tim. What's, uh, what's your strategy, uh, Max, on when you're initiating a relationship with someone? How often are you actually endeavoring to reach out to them or touch base or just try and get in front of them? Uh, during those first couple of years, probably, you know, once every couple months or so, you want to have a few different databases that you're working on. So, and is that, a, are you reaching out to them in addition to sending them information? Well, what's the yeah, omnipresent, omnipresent in every channel you, you want to brand yourself in this person's mind. And I got to plug my laptop in real quick. I'm sorry. And, and it is a good point on that is that you, and I'll, I'll just drone on here while max is uh, is plugging in his computer i i th i think on a touch point standpoint you're going to have where you're trying to reach out to them i personally feel that a phone call even ideally meeting in person is just the most effective way you get to put a face to the name it's much more personable versus doing it over the email but though the email the social media it's all just other touch points so i don't know if you caught all that max or if, if your audio yeah. was there but how so in addition to reaching out to them every couple months plus or minus depending on on where you see that their needs are at what other touch point intervals are you doing how often are you send out a newsletter uh anything else that you're reaching out to them with um i would do mailers quarterly and again tying back to simplicity maybe one or two paragraphs of text and then some comps on there maybe a graph um and then cold calling kind of same thing every few months or so and then email blasts i like to do more often I'd, i would send my blog articles out probably once a month and that's just a generic send it to the whole database yeah yeah i mean you could do like micro if you had five different databases say one for portfolio owners one for industrial business owners you know, you could do it that way, but that becomes pretty uh, time intensive at, at some point. Very much so. There was a question earlier that came in, I think it was from Kyle about uh, CRM, uh, client relation management software. Are you using a CRM or are you doing it all old school Excel style? Excel. I'm, uh, I, I'm as simple as it gets. Yeah. Excel works. True, true to your word uh, that uh, simplicity is the best is that you're still using Excel. Hey. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I've gone back and forth. So I'm using a CRM right now. And if in, incidentally, it is the simplest one that I've come across. I've tried all the big ones that are with all the bells and whistles, and I actually found it to be very overwhelming. Uh, so just real quick story if anyone's curious on how I use my CRM, because I think this ties in very much with the theme of simplicity, Max, is that I, I look at that the CRM is essentially you're creating a web page or a, a notebook, however you want to describe it. You're creating that for every single client that you have. So if you have a listing, you're creating a separate page for that listing where you have all the information on it. Uh, you have all the different things and events that you've surrounded it with it. So if you if you did outbound calls and you got a lead or inbound calls, agents call in, someone wants to tour the property, you're documenting everything and it goes back to that one specific page. And then also on the tenant or buyer side, you have a page specifically dedicated to them where you're tracking all the activities, anything necessary to them. So they essentially each have their own notebook. 
And with that, your CRM is a collection of notebooks that it's easy to search. So if I want, if Max was looking to buy an industrial property, I could just search Max, it'll pull up his page and I can see all the activity that I've done with him on perhaps properties that he was interested in before or when I toured with him. And I've kept it very simple for that, for that reason is that that's how I look at it. It's just a stack of notebooks so that I can reference any one of those clients, seller or owner or buyer tenant and pull it up and have uh, Beverly put no physical Rolodex of business cards. Uh, I, I don't even carry business cards myself anymore. It's uh... <laughs> so, you know what? That's, that's funny. Um, I, when I, when I was at my desk, I had like this wall behind and I would take tax and I would take business cards that from prospects that I had that I knew I had a good chance of converting and I would post them all behind my computer. So every morning when I would get into the office, I would see all these people. What do I need to do to convert this lead? And if I didn't have their business card, I'd take a post it and I'd write their name on it. And that way, every morning I see these people. I'm a big believer in like the law of attraction and all the mental aspects of this, too. So. You're the oldest new broker. <laughs> you're, you've got like all these like really cool modern techniques, and then you have post-it notes on there as well. You are you're one of a kind uh, on that, but it's it's working for you. So, I, and I think that that's the key for for like any broker is just you got to find systems that work. You're you're incorporating some really cool modern techniques and post-it notes, but it's a system that works. And and if why change that and and force yourself to have to implement something that isn't going to be work workable for you or enjoyable and you're going to hate it? I'm all for that. I have a guy in my office that actually uh, up until like six months ago, he had post-it notes everywhere as well. And he was a heavy hitter. He was still is a, a top producing broker. So <laughs> if it works for you, you got to do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think oh, it's just like the general philosophy of it all for me is just take action and do it like people are so worried about what they look like or you know what technology they're using or all this stuff like you're wasting so much time thinking about it just do it who cares and that that's philosophy with everything and like even social media there's people that are apprehensive to post stuff on social media or uh or go on youtube and make videos there's people that are apprehensive to do it i take the same approach just do it what, yeah. what what's the worst that's going to happen to you someone's going to uh make fun of you well who right. cares it's like, yeah i i had someone say after i ran my marathon they were criticizing my shoes and my water bottle i didn't have like a fancy ultra pack and i'm like I finished the race. Like you, you didn't. Who cares what shoes I wear? A keyboard warrior just typing away on his keyboard, chirping you for your shoes as you actually went out and ran the marathon. Right. That's, that's the irony of the the social media world that we live in these days, hey? Yeah. Uh, Nick had a question uh, about your Excel setup. Thanks for the question and joining in too, Nick. Uh, what are your header categories and sheets? So how, how, how are you setting up your spreadsheet to manage this much data? Yeah, so I would have to pull it up, but, and I can post it after or send it to you and you can put it in the link. Um, I don't really use it too much because I'm not building my business anymore and I probably should, but I would have the property address, the name of the owner. The name, the name of the owner is really important because you don't, most ownership is under an LLC or a corporation. And while you're building your database, it's important for you 
to know who the individual owner is. So have, and it, and it may take some time to figure that out for each property, but the building owner's name, their phone number, their email, their mailing address, and oftentimes their mailing address is different than the building address. So that's another important one that you're going to have to spend some time to nail down. And then I would have a notes section. Oh, I, I have the submarket. Like here we have airport, Northwest, Palo Verde, that kind of stuff, the size of the building. So again, it's simple. I didn't have anything fancy in, in there. And then in the notes section, are you tracking how often you're getting in touch with them or calls that you've had or information that you're gathering? Is that just kind yeah. of like casual? Yeah, exactly. Nothing too formal or organized. And it's your testament that uh, you, you can have simple solutions and still be very productive on that. So uh, yeah. it's, uh, if you well, do, sorry. So, so think about it this way. Is this, if, if you're a successful real estate investor and there's one broker who wears a suit and tie and has the most expensive, fanciest CRM and you hear about them, you know, once or twice a year, but then there's the other broker and you get their email market updates every month. You get their snail mail with your name handwritten on it. You get their cold calls, their voicemails. It doesn't matter what the other guy, what doesn't matter what his CRM is or he pulled up in a G wagon because he's irrelevant because that investor doesn't even know who that person is. But the other guy is branded in this individual's head and they have all the market knowledge from this person that's been omnipresent in their head every week. Boom. Mic drop right there. I, I completely agree with you. It's that it's who's who's there to actually help. And the the G Wagon and everything that goes with that is nice. I'm sure I don't have a G Wagon. Uh I'm sure it's nice, but you're right. And and I own property myself and I would be the same way. I don't necessarily need to have the guy that's the fanciest or the uh, sharpest or the best spoken. I want to have a guy that's working for me. Uh, And I think that's the mentality a lot of owners are going to have is they want to see who's going to get the job done, not who's driving the nicest car. So yeah, great point on that. Nice to CRM or whatever. Well, I do have a CRM, so it's, I don't want to, I don't want to dunk on you on your Excel spreadsheets, but mine is like one step up from a, from an Excel spreadsheet. And, and I could probably go back to working on a, an Excel spreadsheet pretty easily. So uh, anything's better than nothing, right? It's a, you just have to find a way to track data and make sure that it's, that it's easy to search. Yeah. Well, you just dunked on me with the fancy CRM. So I guess I'm gonna have to go out and buy three G wagons. So. <laughs> three G. I, yeah, I heard that they're they're not cheap these days. <laughs> Those G wagons are going up in in price. So, but if you do get one, uh, you can dunk on me on Twitter. Uh, and that's actually where I want to segue to because you've grown on Twitter crazy over the last few months here. What's uh, First of all, like sell people on Twitter on why they should be on Twitter because there's there, people are probably curious. So we'll, we'll end with this actually because I, I think that this will be interesting for people that have been hesitant to do it or people that have been on it for a long time and haven't had any traction on it. Because that myself, I, I've been on Twitter. Actually, I got a notification the other day. It's 14 years uh, that I've been on Twitter. So I've been on there for a long time and I probably didn't start getting really good traction until a few months ago 
as well. Maybe it was the Elon Musk factor. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but first, what, what would you say as a reason for people to get onto Twitter? And then we'll piggyback that on how people can start getting more value from Twitter. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm new to Twitter, so I, I haven't explored all the value of Twitter yet. I, I got on in like November. So, but what I've noticed with Twitter compared to other platforms is just the level of sophistication. And I'm one of the least sophisticated guys out there on Twitter. You just, you have very high level commercial real estate knowledge on Twitter that you won't even be able to get in your local market or at your brokerage. And I'll give you an example. Over the weekend, I met up with a real estate buddy of mine and uh, we we're talking about concrete and uh, some concrete quarries in southern Arizona and there's opportunity. Yesterday, I get on a call with Josh from Twitter, who's in Southern California, and he starts talking to me about this big concrete company that's looking for quarries. I'm like, how in the hell is this possible? Like two days ago, I don't really talk about concrete too much, but to have Josh plug me with this concrete user and then plug the other Josh from Southern Arizona who has these ties to quarries, that's the kind of stuff that I've seen happen over Twitter. And it's it kind of reminds me of, say, SIOR, except you don't have a designation. Like with SIOR, you have access to veterans who have decades of experience and deep ties within the CRE world. To me, that's what Twitter is. And I do, I have watched like the algorithm change and that's kind of why I got on Twitter is it's easier to connect and, and really go viral too. Yeah, and you're being modest by saying you don't really understand it because in in that four months that you've been on it, you've uh, you've grown con- considerably and you've got quite a bit of engagement. And some of your some of your posts have had 500 likes, and you've gotten multiple comments on there. So that that leads into what's working for you. How how what would you say to someone that's considering being on Twitter or has just hasn't had any traction on Twitter? And we've I've been there myself where you put a post out there and it's crickets, no likes, no comments. It's just out there and nobody gives uh, a, a flying damn about it. What do you yeah. do? How, 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 what's worked for you? Let's, let's, let's start there. Um, so I would say I have like spurts of like creative thoughts or n- not even creative thoughts, just documenting what's going through my head because it's 24 seven real estate. And then I'll like write down all these thoughts or these tweets and then I'll save them into my drafts and then I'll consistently post them like every two hours. So and a lot of that comes from one of two places. One, I'm exercising. And so I don't have all of these distractions of like emails and calls and stuff. And I'm just thinking about real estate and then just like thoughts are popping off. So I put them in my drafts folder. Another thing, uh, my wife and I, we wake up early, we go on a walk. Um, I don't bring my phone, but we're talking for 45 minutes on our walk. And then when I have all these ideas, I'm like, Hey, can I borrow your phone? And I put all these down. And so again, it's like no distractions and movement creates these thoughts and ideas. And then I jot them all down at once and then I can slow drip them over time. That's a great point because I think a lot of people that consume content on Twitter as opposed to creating it, they probably wonder how people have such creative 
posts and how they have insights in their post but it doesn't happen on the spot someone doesn't just open twitter and be like okay let's see what i could post got to think of something creative and original here uh and then they come up with it it's i think a lot of it is exactly how you're doing it is these these ideas are pre-planned or it's ideas that just happen and you jot it down and then you have that as content so i think that's that's a great idea right there is if you're on twitter just make a list start start an ongoing list of ideas that you have uh to put on there and and yours yours have uh have all been interesting too it's you mentioned that you've had some controversial stuff how has that gone on it um it's great i mean controversial stuff gets more comments and then it boosts the algorithm and it shows you organically to other people that aren't necessarily following you. And that's how you get new followers. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a gray area. So <laughs> I'm going to put all the links uh, to your Twitter and LinkedIn uh, or to your, to your Twitter and your website. Uh, comment from Beverly, a social media guru, even though she hates me calling her that. She is a, who I turn to for all my social media stuff. She was actually the one that encouraged me to start this channel in the first place. So she she's directly responsible for you guys all having to listen to me uh, talk every week. Uh, I use Twitter to test LinkedIn posts. If it's successful on Twitter, it usually kills on LinkedIn. Uh, that's, a, that's a fascinating idea in itself. And, and I know that there, there are some uh, people that do that with YouTube. So they'll test out ideas on Twitter to see what gets traction. And then the ones that rise to the top, they'll turn it into a video. So I love your idea about seeing if it works on Twitter. And if it does, try it on LinkedIn. And I think that that, that just kind of wraps up the whole conversation here too, uh, Max, is that it's simple. There's, there's nothing that we're talking about that's overly yep. complex or magical. It's just keeping things very simple. Yeah. And one other comment about content creation. So um, I do TikTok and a lot of people have this idea that like, it's like 13 year old girls dancing, but it's really not. There's a lot of high level people on TikTok, believe it or not. And I have like more than 70,000 followers on there. And what I'll do is like the same concept that I'm tweeting about. I'll make a short form uh, video on TikTok and then I can repost my tweet on Instagram or I can repost my TikTok video on Instagram. And so it's less time consuming and it's essentially the same real estate concept just plugged into different types of formats. So, Yeah, I know Aviva uh, is crushing it on TikTok as well. I think she has over a million followers on there. So yeah. you, you're the, you and her are the unofficial king and queen of TikTok. Uh, I, I don't have any plans to join it myself. I've resisted it as long as I possibly can and will continue to do so. But it's it's yeah. good to see. Oh, and that probably means less competition for you by people that have the same mentality as I do. But I, I think it's it just reinforces the idea that you're, you're omnipresence. And right. how can you be omnipresent if you're not on as many of these different things as you can? And there's not a whole lot of extra work that goes into adding content on one platform if you're already creating content. Yeah. And, and that's my goal with the omnipresence thing is like I became omnipresent in Tucson commercial real estate. My goal now is to become omnipresent on a national or global level when it comes to commercial real estate. So pumping out content on all these different platforms. And that's my goal. I'm documenting the journey. And I think that's what makes me a little different from these other influencers is I'm like, I'm in this like weird stage of I didn't just start, but it's also so fresh where 
I know those lessons and I know what those newer brokers in year one, year two are going through. But I also have some wisdom and some experience under my belt. But I'm also not your guy if, you know, you're talking big, you know, REIT type of stuff or national credit tenant type of stuff. So yeah, you, you know where your sandbox is and you dominate in it. That's, that's, that's a good game plan for anyone in business. Yep. So uh, wrapping up on your book, again, I've purchased it. I've read it. I endorse it. It's a great book. It's quick to read. You're not sitting through a war and peace novel. You can get through it pretty quick and there's a lot of actionable steps. Uh, if you liked what Max had to say and you want to dig into it more, I recommend your book. We'll put links to your website, uh, your email and your Twitter uh, so people can connect with you and look into your book and uh, just want to say thanks for taking the time to join me on this max i'm sure we'll continue uh uh, uh talking on twitter you're gonna have to dunk on me when you get your g-wagon uh maybe i'll upgrade my crm oh, one day and I'll here's, it, here's a funny tweet that i put out yesterday talk about controversial tweets that went semi-viral but i was like in commercial real estate you have to set yourself apart don't pull up to the listing appointment in a G-Wagon or a Range Rover. Show up in a Pontiac Aztec, which is like a beater car from like 30 years ago. And it's funny because it goes viral because everyone takes it seriously. You're an idiot. You don't show up in an Aztec. So that's a perfect tweet. On, on We'll end it there with the G-Wagon and the Pontiac Aztec. The G-Wagon is going to be a running joke. I can, I can tell already. Uh, well, th thanks again, Max. Thanks for everyone that uh, tuned in and for the uh, the awesome questions and comments in there. Really do appreciate it. I always like to say, give us a thumbs up if you like this. Smash the thumbs down if you didn't like this. I like feedback of any kind. I've got thick skin, so you can leave me a mean comment if you didn't like something I said. If you don't like something Max said, you can also leave a comment. He's a big dude, so I, I don't know if you want to have him uh, uh, coming up, but Leave us a thumbs up, thumbs down, leave us a comment. Uh, Nick, uh, one quick question that came in there. Uh, if Yes, if Max, if you do send that to me, uh, I'll upload it to website. I'll put a link in there as well. Uh, if, if Max can remember to send that, I'll, I'll remind you as well, and we will put that up there. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Max, thanks again. We'll be in touch. Well, I hope you got some value from that episode. I always enjoy getting to speak with these guests. Again, if you got any value from this, please leave a review on our Apple or Spotify page and look to catch you in the next episode. Thanks.